Watermark. I want to welcome our campuses as well. We have Plano and Fort Worth and now Frisco uh, tuning in with us, joining us today. And so, so excited to be back in Philippians. Yeah, it's awesome. And so, so excited to be back in Philippians uh, with you. And I want to start with this question. What's the most beautiful scene that you've ever seen in nature? Like the most beautiful sight that you've ever seen in nature? Is it like the, the Colorado Rockies or maybe the Grand Canyon or maybe a beach, you know, the crystal clear water and the, the sugar white sand? Hopefully everyone here has something they remember. It's like, oh, or, or a forest or something. For me, this happened in Brazil. I was on a, a short-term discipleship trip to Brazil. We flew into Manaus, uh, Brazil. We got on a double-decker boat, and we went six days down the Amazon River with some young adults. And one evening, okay, we were anchored there in the middle of the Amazon, kind of in this bay of the river, if you will, if that's even a thing, and uh, right outside this village that we were ministering to. And I decided to go up on the top deck of the boat. And the thing about Brazil is, or, or where we were anyways, is the, the cities, the towns, the villages, they operate based on uh, generators. That's how they get their electricity. At night, those generators go off. And so at night, there is virtually zero light pollution. And so I go onto the roof of this boat, and what I saw was like nothing I had ever seen before. It completely took my breath away. It was this amazing sky. And I had seen night skies before, but it was like this milky white. I think we have a picture, actually. It was just this, this the sky was like milky white and bright, a full of these beautiful stars. And I mean, I just saw the Creator's majesty in that display. I mean, it just was, the, the picture does not do it justice at all. It just, it took my breath away. And I think there's something in, in most of us, maybe in all of us, that we like to look at the stars. Sometimes you have to get outside the city, you know, into a field somewhere away from light to look at the stars. You guys enjoy that? You know, why, why do we enjoy that? Like, what is so fascinating about stars? There, there's something about the contrast, the pitch darkness of the night, the depth of the night, and that God in his creativity and wonder would hang these stars, these balls of gas and fire to light up the night sky. And it shows just the vastness of his creation. It's incredible. The scripture we're going to be in today in Philippians chapter 2 is going to call us to stand out from the world like one of these stars that in the world that we would stand in contrast to the world. Before I go further into that, I want to point out an irony to you, though, something that I find rather ironic. Consider who we call stars here on the earth. You, you have rock stars. You know, 50 Cent wants to party like one. Post Malone feels like one. You have singing stars and music stars and entertainment stars. These are people who stand apart from others in their giftedness, in their talents, right? You have the world's greatest hockey team, the Dallas Stars. 
you have basketball stars and football stars. These are people who stand apart from others in their giftedness and in their talent. Some of you remember when Ed McMahon was searching for stars, and today we're dancing with stars. But my hope for you is that you would not be a star in the wrong thing. That at the end of your life, what you starred in, what you stood out in, would not be anything worldly. Or at least what you stood out in the most would be above and beyond anything that's worldly. And this is my greatest concern for us here. Full transparency, like, like completely complete honesty with you, like this is the thing that I'm concerned as a shepherd here, we're going to have to give an account for. That we're going to stand before creator God and we're going to look back on our lives and we're going to realize that we were rather worldly. That we got swept up in some currents. Because this idea to stand apart from the world, it's not some rogue idea hidden in the scriptures that you have to find if you turn to the sticky pages and we look and we're like, we don't know what that means, you know. First Peter 2 calls us to stand out as strangers and aliens, foreigners and exiles. This is really clear. You don't belong there. You're in a place that you don't belong to. First John 2 verse 15 says, do not love the world. Clear? Or anything of the world? Clearer. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Super clear. Right? These, these scriptures, Romans 12, says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be different, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. John 15 says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I've called you out of the world to be different from the world. Philippians chapter 3, the book that we're in, it says their glory was in their shame. Their mind was set on earthly things. Earthly things. But not you. Not you guys. You guys. You're citizens of heaven. Should you stand out. You stand out in that place. You fight the good fight. You wage war against the desires of your flesh. You be different. Don't star in the wrong thing. So that's what I want to talk about from this text, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Standing out as stars of faith, which is different than being a star in the world. But being a star of faith, that from God's perspective, that you would be the stars that he's looking for. The ones that entertain the angels. Some of you, you came in today and you want to stand out. That, that is a goal of your life, to stand out. And to you, I would say, great, just make sure you're standing out in the right things. Others of you, you have no desire to stand out. I don't want to stand out. I want to blend in. And that to you, I would say, you don't have a choice. God has made it really clear. You are to be different than your atheist friends, than your non-believing friends. If we were to audit your life, you should pop. Not a little different, but like, different that a, like the difference between a star and the night sky different. A, a strong 
contrast to their lives. As we move through this text, we're going to go start in verse 14. We're going to move through the end of the chapter. He gives us two examples at the end that I want to highlight in Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we're going to look at how stars of the faith stand out in our attitude, in what guides us, and in our actions. You're going to leave today with three directives. The points are directives from the text. Uh, To remind you, to set this up, uh, Paul wrote this in about 62 AD. He's in prison in Rome, most likely chained to a Roman soldier, and he's writing to this church that he loves because he started it, helped start it. Uh, He knows the people there, and he's reminding them of whom they belong to, the kingdom of which they belong to, the same kingdom that we belong to if we've trusted in Christ, his death and resurrection. Last week, Todd took us through probably the most popular text in Philippians, the kenosis passage, or the, where it talks about the self-emptying of Christ, him putting on humanity, being fully God, the hypostatic union, fully God, fully man. That's who Christ is. Our Lord is. And then it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And today, it's going to tell us how. Verse 14. Do everything, into the text. Do everything. So what, what, what do we do exactly? How many things? Everything. All the things you do. In everything you do. Do it without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure. And then in quotes, it says, children of God, it expounds on this blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. You exist in a warped and crooked world. So when you look around and you see, you know, difficult things, wrong things, you know that and you exist in that and you pop from that like a star in the night sky. And so this, where it's in quotes here, it's from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, verse 5. The song of Moses, when he hears about the Israelites' rebellion, predicted. And it says this, it says, They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. You guys remember the Israelites. If you've been in church long, you've been frustrated by the Israelites. You know, that God frees them from Egypt, finally, and then they're just like, What have you done for me lately? We're thirsty, and this water's bad, and so God cleans up the water, and they're like, what have you done for me lately? We're hungry. We'd be better off in slavery. So God provides food from the sky, and by the way, of manna, you know, and then they're like, we're tired of eating manna. No variety. We need a dollar menu, and so he gives them quail, and and then they're like, we're thirsty again. So he brings forth water from a rock. And you just see these years and years and years of complaining. And we're like, what's wrong with them? Don't they see God's faithfulness, don't you? What's wrong with us? Like, this is one of those texts where we're like, really? Is that really what that means? In the Greek, it's a continual attitude with an emphasis on in everything you do, Don't argue or complain. And it it says that this is what marks the children of God. And this is interesting because you you consider the way genetics work. I'm tall. 
And so my children are told, because I'm their father. What it's saying is, God's children, you, you know you can recognize God's children by their gratitude, their thanksgiving, their lack of arguing and complaining, their attitude. And so we stand out, we are a star, we stand out in our attitude. My first point, the first directive is don't argue or complain, right? Don't argue or complain. Okay, so let's just talk about this because we're just coming off this holiday where we celebrated giving thanks, right? And I don't know about you, I said the prayer, you know, at our um, gathering, our family gathering, so I'm the, like the resident pastor, you know, of course you're going to pray. And so uh, I'm there, like, Lord, thank you for all the things that you've bestowed upon us, for family and for food to eat and for the freedom that we live in. And, and, I'm, and Lord, help us to reflect on the thanks. And, and we, amen. And then like 15 minutes later, oh, I'm so full. Oh, I feel gross. Did the pie taste funny to you guys? My, my brother-in-law uh, owns an insurance agency. I'm like, hey, why is my insurance so high? You know, let's, can we talk about, I mean, just the complaints. Come, is, it, is it cold in here? And then they turn the thermostat up. Hey, I, I think it's, now it's hot, okay? You know, and just the arguing, the complaining. I mean, some of the arguing, some of you, this is why you don't like Thanksgiving. Because you know what's going to come up at the, you're like trying to avoid topics like the plague. Religion and politics and whatnot. And something else that was convicting to me in this is like, I love excellence. I want everything to be the best that it can be. And sometimes what that means is I come across with a critical spirit. I'm like, hey, was that a little bit too loud? Was the song a little too long? Did we, did we highlight the wrong things? What's wrong with the lights? Can we fix the AC? And I always kind of wrote that off as just like, well, I just like excellence, you know. Honors God and inspires people. And it makes me, in contrast, it makes me disobedient to this text because it's a command. It says do nothing. In everything you do, don't argue and complain. It's one of those texts that, you're just like, you want to tell God it's hard, you know? He's like, you know, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't worry. Okay, God, I don't want to worry. Like, well, don't. Okay. Don't be anxious. Okay, you got it. Won't be anxious. Give thanks in all circumstances. In, in what circumstance? All circumstances, like, like flu circumstances? All circumstances. How do I do that, God? Don't argue or complain ever. Because is that even possible? Have you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to make it to your car <laughs> without arguing or complaining, okay? And some of you, I know it's already way too late. Because you're like, oh, the parking, you know, the kids ministry, this place is so big, music's so loud, you know. I gotta sit here. Oh, the meet and greet, I hate this part, you know. <laughs> right? Too late for you, okay? But grace abounds. Let's just start over right now. And I just want you to try to make it to your car without arguing and complaining. Because if this is a directive, then arguing and complaining is a sin. I mean, could you, like, could you imagine... What if we went, like what if we were buried 
from this moment till then. And we never again argued or complained about anything. Could you imagine? And yet I want you to know, I want to say unapologetically to you, that is what God is asking us to do. That's what he says here. And what I've learned, what I think is ironic to me at best, is that people who have the most often complain the most. Like as you think about who we call stars in this world, sometimes they complain the most. In fact, there's a, um, a Twitter handle out there called, it's at Celebs Complain. And all it does is they retweet the complaints of celebrities. And so I read some, some of them to you. Uh, Paris Hilton says, OMG, the power went out in my hotel halfway through getting my hair curled. This is a nightmare. I'm running so late for a movie. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Serena Williams can't eat spicy food because it gives her heartburn and she loves peppers on peppers on peppers. Is this my future? Question mark, exclamation point. Lots of sad faces. Uh, Kim Kardashian, she's a repeat offender on this guy. Uh, she is so jet lagged she can't sleep. That's one of the cleaner ones I found. Uh, Hillary Duff has a cracked screen and 28% charge. Ugh, exclamation point. Um, Rain Wilson, Dwight from The Office, He's complaining that first class doesn't have enough leg room. Wah. Um, so sorry, Rain. I, uh, hashtag first world problems. So these are ridiculous. We see them and we're like, they have everything. Like, what do they have to complain about? And so what I did is I went on Twitter and I just pulled some of your tweets, okay? So, wa no, watch this. Watch. So, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't. But you guys, you guys were nervous for a minute, though. You were all like, oh, I saw it. You were like, oh, no, you know, what's he about to do, okay? I didn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But not complaining and arguing should mark us. And not just that, but, but gratitude. And gratitude is, is an emotion. Thanksgiving is the action out of the emotion. So you have the emotion in your heart of gratitude. And what you do is you give thanks in all circumstances, you give thanks. Can I say something? Not arguing and complaining, that's defense. Giving thanks is offense. So the way that you don't argue and complain is you play offense. You leave those doors and you give thanks in all circumstances. And you cannot give thanks and argue and complain at the same time. So without what is coming out of your mouth is thanksgiving, you won't argue and complain. And that's how you can go the rest of your life without violating this command. And so just go today without arguing or complaining and then do it again tomorrow, one day at a time. And the stars of faith stand out by not arguing and complaining. This would make you pretty different in the world. And when you do this, let me show you what happens. It says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. When you do this, you're going to stand apart from the world. And the way that you do this, verse 16, is so key. The way that you do this is, look at this, verse 16. As you hold firmly, as you hold fast to the word of life. And what that will allow Paul to do is, then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And so you are to stand in contrast to the world like a star to the night. 
You've all seen this. I was, I was on a tailgate in Lorena, Texas last weekend. Anybody know where Lorena, Texas is? Okay, so me and three of you. And so I'm out there. I'm on a tailgate praying with a friend in a field. And I look up, and it's very different than in Brazil. It's much more contrast. Okay, there, there are stars sprinkled throughout the sky. You can see this picture. And, and it just is, it's what we're used to. And this is the picture that the Holy Spirit, through Paul, gives us. This is what your life is to look like, one of contrast. There's not a lot of you Christians. But those of you that are actually Christians, don't conform any longer to the world. Stop conforming to the world. Stop acting like that's not in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Be different than the world. Stand out. Stranger and alien. Not loving the world. But the things of the world. And the only way that you can do this is if you hold firmly to the word of God. And Paul is a teacher and an evangelist. And so the greatest accomplishment of a teacher and evangelist if, is when he finishes the race and stands before God, he can look back on his people and see that they are still doing what the scripture commands them to do. Then he would not have ran in vain or labored in vain so that they would continue doing what the scripture asked them to do. And so the way that we're a star, the way that we stand out is when you hold to, it, 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 you hold firmly to the word. That's my second point. This is the second directive from the text. Hold firmly to the word. And so we have something to live by. That is the scripture, right? At Watermark, what we say, because this is our, one of our values, uh, in our, our values, it says we say God's word is our authority, conscience, and our guide in everything. We stand firm where it stands firm and remain flexible where it is flexible. And so if you were to ask your kids and your friends, those closest to you, those in your life, hey, what is my guide? You can ask them this. This is something you can do. This can be take-home homework. What is my guide in everything? Hey, let me just ask you a question. Over lunch. As you sit down and say, hey guys, let me ask you a question. What is my guide in everything? Well, what do you mean? What drives my decisions, the, the direction and the trajectory of my life? What is my guide in everything? And see what they say. See if they say, oh, that's obvious. It's, it's the Bible. It's so clear. I see you every morning in it. I, I see you going back. I, when you give us instruction, you're referencing it. You're, you're not telling us your opinion. You don't show up to community group and say, well, I just think. You're like, God's word says. It's very clear that you have it written on your heart. It's clear. It's, it's the Bible. Because I don't think that we can believe that this book is suitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And not read it. And soak it in. Every day. This is like super easy, low-hanging application. Tomorrow, when you wake up, get in the Word. And the next day, get in the Word. And the next day, get in the Word. Well, what about Sunday? Yeah, let's make it easy. Every day. So that you don't have a decision to make. When you wake up, you're not like, what day is it? You know, do I do it today? Just do it every day. Just get in the Word. Well, where do I start? I don't care. Start in Genesis and John and Matthew. 
jointhejourney.com for a great plan. But every day, what if I'm sick? Eh, let's just still get in the Word. Okay, what if I can't see? Have somebody read it to you. Like every day between now and when you die. I, I just think that makes it easier. What does it mean that it's our God? It's our God. Uh, Thanksgiving Day, we went to my sister's in Cedar Hill. She lives down there in Cedar Hill. Whenever we travel anywhere, um, we play this game in our family where we guess like what time we're going to get there, you know. And so it's my daughter and I, and uh, we were in two separate cars, and uh, she and I played this game, what time we're going to get there. And so she, I guessed eleven, and she guessed eleven ten. So ten minutes. Uh, Now, she had a few things working against her in this game. So let me just say, the loser has to go in the house and gobble like a turkey and convince everybody that they're a turkey. And so that's the way Christians gamble, just in case you're curious. And so so she and I have this wager, and uh, I say 11, she says 11.10, but she has a few things working against her because I'm driving. You know, I kind of control some variables there, and uh, I can go fast or slow. And the other thing that she has going against her is I've been there like 100 times, and so I, I know how long it takes. But uh, as we were talking, I missed my exit, and, uh, and then I kind of woke up from that daydream. Way I'm like, where am I? You know, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I'm like, where am I? And so I'm trying to figure out how to get to my sister's. And so what I do is I pull out my iPhone and I put in her address. And then it begins to give me instruction. And I, I've gone against the GPS before. I've lost many times. I'm like, certainly it's not this way. So, so I've learned now. I've learned. You just do what it says, okay? And so it says to get on this highway. I get on that highway. It says to take this exit. I take that exit. It says to turn left here. I turn there. I turn there. I go that many miles. I do exactly what it says. At that moment, it's a point of surrender. I'm just going to do what it says because it is my guide. And this is like a GPS. It's taking you somewhere to the kingdom of heaven. You simply do what it says. What about when it's really hard? You still do what it says. What about when everybody else is doing something different? You still do what it says. What about when you think, eh, maybe that's dated or something? You understand the context, you study it, you read some commentaries, and you do what it says. Oh, that's the benefit of getting in it on the daily. It's one of many benefits of getting in it daily because some of you, you, you found yourself in a place where you're grumbling and complaining and this is your guide out. Some of you, you found yourself in a place where you're looking around you and you're like, wow, we're rather worldly. Here is your way out. You, you found yourself in a place where you lack joy. And, and you, you know, I just would ask you, is this a regular discipline of yours. It's, it's the way. It's your guide. It's, it's what you follow. And can you imagine for a moment how your life would look different if we just did what this said? This is interesting to think about because it's like if, if you were on a deserted island and all you had was this book, and this is my concern for us, and I mean us, I'm, I'm talking about Watermark is that there's some things in here. Like this is what God used to change my life in this church. 
It's tied up here saying, hey, we're just going to do what it says. And so you begin to think about how, well, being on a deserted island with this book, and you're just reading it for the very first time with fresh eyes. My hunch is most of us would spin different, save different, resolve conflict different, gossip different, talk different, be entertained different. If, if we did that. And so we start tomorrow by getting in God's word. The stars of faith use the Bible as their guide. And let me show you what that leads to. Back in the text, verse 17. But even if I am being poured out, so Paul's talking, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So what do we pull from that? Those two verses there. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service that, that you do, so you sacrifice and you serve because you believe, for coming from your faith. So drink offering, what is that? Is the, the Greek word is spindamai. This would have come from pagan culture. What they would do is they would pour out a drink offering. Some Christians or, or Jews adopted this practice, pouring out like a, an expensive wine into a fire just so that it may be evaporated. What it would have appeared to, to those outside the faith is such a waste. Why would you do that? It's so elaborate and pointless. And he's saying, this is how I've lived my life. The world looks at what I'm doing, they see me in prison, and they think, wow, what a waste. And I say, no. I consider it joy that I might suffer for Christ in this way, give everything for the sake of Jesus. I've been poured out like a drink offering. And it's not in vain because of your, it says sacrifice and service. It could be sacrificial service that comes out of your faith, that's born out of your faith. What is sacrificial service? Very simply, so, so that we're not confused, it is serving in a way that costs you. You feel it. It costs you something in the world. It's an inconvenient kind of service. That this is what marks the lives of Christians, the lives of believers. That when we believe in God's kingdom, we serve out of sacrifice. And so we're a star in what we give our lives to. We stand out in what we give our lives to. Number three, sacrificially serve. Third directive, sacrificially serve. Third point. And so serve in a way that may cost you something in this world. Cost me what? Could cost you resources or time or relationships or career advancement. That serving is a priority to you. That you don't make it as should I serve, should I not, based on is it convenient or not. That, that maybe sometimes the more inconvenient it is, that's really the one you should do. That's, that's really a place where you should serve. 
Um, there was a, I don't know if you guys know who um, John Chow is. Anybody read about him this week? John Chow? So uh, it was a really interesting story. I encourage you to look it up. I don't have a lot of time to go into it in depth. But he, he was a young man in his 20s who visited this unreached people group, the Sentinelese people, uh, several hundred miles off the coast of India, a remote island. I didn't even, to my naivety and great shame, I didn't even know people groups like this still existed. But they have no interaction whatsoever with the outside world. In fact, it's illegal to go to that island. And this young man said, I'm going to take the gospel there. And they killed him. And that, one of the reasons it's illegal is because they're a violent tribe. And so they shot him with arrows. And I was reading the journalism around this report, and it just said how foolish he was. Why would he do that? He, you know, he compromised his life. And he could have infected them with the disease because their immune system's down. And, and it's, it's crazy. There's just kind of the perspective of the world. This is insane. Why would he do that? And they're right. It's crazy. It's even stupid unless this is true. Because if this is true, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If this is true, then he knew they were infected with a, a greater disease called sin that was going to carry them away for eternity. If this is true, then what he did was so heavenly wise, right? And so you, you serve sacrificially. I said, what does this look like? God is so kind to give us four examples of this in this chapter. Four examples of sacrificial service in this chapter. The first one we talked about last week, it's Christ, it's Jesus. Now, now you say, well, how, is he really an example? Absolutely. Do you know why? Because we're called Christians, which is like little Jesuses, little Christ. Followers of Christ. He's our example. We do what he does. And what did he do? It says that though he was God, he humbled himself, making himself like a servant. He was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death. And so we follow his example. Like we don't just call ourselves Christians in name, we are willing to lose the world for the sake of the world, following Christ's example. He came to the world to call us out of the world. If you don't know the gospel story, Jesus Christ paid for your sins on the cross. He died. And then God raised him from the dead, showing God's power and showing you how you might live forever by trusting in his payment. And the, the apostle Paul was a tremendous example of someone who trusted in this, who had faith in this, that he also served sacrificially he, he says for the sake of Christ I've lost all things he was a man of means he he had some degrees he had them some things going for him people trusted him and he says I now consider them rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ my Lord I don't care about the worldly things I care about the eternal things fixing my eyes not on the things that are seen but are unseen I live for the kingdom and then you have his protege Timothy who is an example of a shining star. Let me read it to you in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show you genuine concern for your welfare, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. 
But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, read this with me, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And so Timothy is an example of someone who served sacrificially for the sake of the gospel with Paul. He's like, here's another example. And it says over and over, he stood out. He popped. He was a star. He's a star in the world. He is not like everyone else. He even stood out among Christians. He is a star of the faith. Get to heaven Go see Timothy's house. It's going to be amazing, okay? That's what Paul is saying. And then he says, not just Timothy, but also Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a guy that the Philippian church had sent to Paul to care for him. They sent him with, with kind of a string attached, if you will, saying, hey, you're going to come back, but go care for the apostle Paul. And it says here in verse 25, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord and with great joy and honor people like him. And then read this with me, verse 30. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. See, he sacrificially served. He almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me, meaning you sent him in your absence. Epaphrodites, his name, let me tell you what his name means. His name means belonging to Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of pleasure. And so this guy has the least fortunate name in all of Christendom, okay? Goddess of, belonging to the goddess of pleasure. It would be the equivalent today if your name was, you know, son of Satan or daughter of Satan. That, that's That's his name. And you see the radical life change that has happened that now he wants to risk his life for the sake of advancing the gospel. And this has been messing with me. Not just Epaphroditus, but all of us. That I think if you read this on the deserted island, you would just see so clearly that you and I, that we're to risk our lives for the sake of the gospel. And I don't necessarily mean in a way that you might die. But I do mean that you might lose in the game of the world so that you might win in the game of heaven. And I, and I know because I struggle just like you do. Well, how much, how much do we give up? How, you know, how do we be in the world and not of the world? And uh, you know, some of these things I can leverage for the sake of the kingdom. And some of you, you know, you're, you're so well-resourced and you're so incredibly wise and strategic in the way that you're doing, and I applaud your effort. Some of you are not well-resourced. Because you, you've given up everything for the sake of the kingdom, and I applaud your effort. And others of us who are resourced or not resourced, if we were to audit our lives and just be honest, 
You've conformed to the world. And that's the truth. And I urge you from the scripture not to stay there. It is a picture of four people who have radically given their lives for the work of the Lord. They are stars. They are stars in heaven. Uh, As Lecrae would say, three of them are a trail of stardust pointing to the superstar. One of them is the superstar, Jesus. The other three are the trail of stardust pointing to Jesus, that that's how they, they live their lives. Can I ask you just some questions? Let's just talk about Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let me ask you some quizzes on them. Okay, what kind of house did Paul have? What, what neighborhood did Timothy live in? Where did Epaphroditus' kids go to college? Back to Paul, what, what kind of car did he drive? Or, or camel did he drive? What, what did he have? Was it nice? What, did, what was it like? We don't know those things, do we? That's not what marked their lives, is it? That's not why we would read about them thousands of years later. That's not what they were known for. That's not what they were preserved. They didn't get to heaven and God said, man, that house, that was amazing. I lost all things for the sake of knowing Christ, my Lord. But that's good for Paul and we're not supposed to do that, are we? I think as a father, there's this burden of a desire to want to provide for my children the best education, the best things. You feel that. If you're a parent, I'm sure you feel that. But here's what's interesting is I spent the last 12 years in ministering to the product of parenting, okay? The results of parenting. I spent the last 12 years in young adult ministry. So these are, these are, are, are adults who graduated from college and they haven't gotten married yet. And so they're in that, that middle ground. They are the results of parenting. And I, you, know, you begin to recognize patterns. And some of these young adults have incredible faith. Like they're willing to do anything the Lord asks them to do. And what I learn is a lot of times their incredible faith come from their parents' incredible faith. That that's where it came from. And, and I don't say that um, to instill guilt on you. And I would also say that there are exceptions to that, that sometimes God's grace intervenes. But the reason I say that is because from my perspective, it's an absolute fact. And so I was at launch retreat, and I, I heard this young lady talking about going overseas to Thailand. And she was from South Africa, now in Dallas. Hey, I'm going overseas to Thailand. And Somebody challenged her on that and said, well, wait, why don't you get married first? And she just looked at them confused and was like, why, why would I stay here and search when I can go there and serve? And I, my ears perked up because I'm like, that's odd. You know, this is someone that pops, stands different than the world. That's not a common single girl's perspective. I'm like, hmm, okay. So, and I, we get to know each other. And I find out she's here for Thanksgiving, but her family's in South Africa. Hey, you can have Thanksgiving with us. And so she comes with us to Thanksgiving, and, and so we're just peppering her with questions. We're, we're curious. I'm, I'm wondering where her faith comes from. 
And she begins to tell me about her family. So my mom and dad, you know, they, my, my dad worked in management. My mom worked at a bank. We had normal lives. They, we would go on vacations. You know, we, we just the typical normal life. And, and one day they started reading the scriptures and they realized that God was calling them to care for the least of these. And so they went and got certified to care for endanger, or children who were in danger uh, when they were removed by law enforcement, that they would be a safe house. And so the first person that came to them was this young man who was born to a prostitute. She tried to suffocate him and then left him on the street for dead. And the law enforcement picked him up, didn't know where to take him, brought him to my parents' house. And 10 years later, now he's my brother, Benjamin, she says. And since then, since that moment, we've now adopted, my parents have adopted five more children. And so here's their family picture. And so we're sitting there, we're like, hey, tell, tell us more, you know, can you, what else? He says, well, then, you know, the children didn't stop coming. There was such a, a need, and so, you know, I saw my parents sleep on the floor of our living room so that they could line the walls of their bedroom with cribs. Now they foster 48 other children in their home. It's become an orphanage where we once could eat whatever we want. Now we rely on donated food that, that has come from the but the past due date, and, and there's not enough room on the table, so every adult has a kid on each knee, and we sit there, and we, we eat, and, and oftentimes, she says, uh, countless times, I remember sitting at the table, and they're, they're not being food. My parents, there was nothing to feed us, and they would pray. We sat there at the table. They would pray. Someone would knock at the door countless times, she said, and, and there would be someone there delivering food to us. And I asked her, just in case you want, I said, have you heard of George Mueller? She said, no, who's George Mueller? Who has a story that's like that? She said they had to say no to new furniture, kitchen remodels, vacations, Christmas gifts, private schools, birthday gifts, and new cars, but yes to life, yes to Jesus, yes to miracles, literally played out in my backyard. How could I not have faith? I've seen God do incredible things. I, I've seen my parents go without food. I've seen my dad hitchhike to church because he sold his car so that he could save one more kid. I've seen my mom go without sleep. Why she helped babies in the final hours of their life. My mom hate, hated to cook, but she cooked for 60 people three times a day, every day, and I never heard her complain one time. That's convicting just around Thanksgiving dinner we just came off of, and I'm sure you were tired of cooking too. She said their lives demand an explanation, and that is the very essence of Christianity. Not radical Christianity, just the normal biblical kind. I know they are exhausted and can only dream of a date night or a family vacation, but they wake up refreshed and renewed every morning because they choose to be content in him. They do everything without complaining. Some might think that we grew up poor, but I think we grew up the richest kids in the world. Having two God-fearing parents who taught us how to live by faith serve with our lives and find joy in him is something that can't have a price. Their entire lives have been a sacrifice to serve Jesus, but also there is no sacrifice at all. They live in the revelation of him every single day. So what if? What if it's not the incredible way 
that we provide for our kids that make them stand out, but the things we couldn't provide for them because we were providing for others. What if that's the path? That we would sacrificially serve. And they would say, our home, it was different. Our place was different. Because my parents... They stood out in the way they never argued and complained. They stood out in the way that they held firmly to the word of God. And they stood out in the ways that we constantly, sacrificially served. Those are the stars. That is the call. We're going to need help. Let me pray for that help. Father, would you help us do this? Help us to live out this calling on our lives. Help us to shine in a wicked and depraved generation that we wouldn't leave here and just try to be normal, but that we would leave here and try to be biblical, surrendering to your spirit, not trying harder by our efforts, but giving more of our life up for you, to you, for you to take over. And Father, would you start with me? Would you start with me? I, I, I've got things I need to change. Help me to audit my life. Father, thank you for the words of your servant, Paul, and what we can learn from him today. In Jesus' name, amen.